Welcome to Clearly Quaker, an ongoing series of podcasts by Salem Quarterly Meeting, part of the Religious Society of Friends. Salem Quarterly Meeting is an association of seven Southern New Jersey Quaker meetings within Philadelphia Yearly Meeting. Okay. Good morning, friends. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for the introduction. And um, good morning, friends. It's very good to, to be with you this morning to have been with you for um, for worship and to have been invited to um, spend some time with you to share information and, and updates um, and gratitude from the school and that's a word I hope that you'll hear uh, repeatedly as we as we go through this this presentation um, continuing with introductions um, I would like to introduce or, or welcome Sophie to introduce herself because I, I am not making this uh, presentation alone um, I was very uh, grateful, there we go, you can, you can count how many times the word grateful comes up, um, when I asked Sophie if she would join me in making this presentation, and she said yes. Um, so Sophie, do you mind, I know friends here probably know you, but go ahead and, and introduce yourself. Good morning, I'm Sophie Ragone. Um, I know many of you, I'm a member of uh, Woodstown Meeting, and I teach Spanish um, at Friends School, and I run the after school drama program, so I'm happy to be here to talk to you this morning with Matt. And as many of us at Friends School do, so Sophie wears a few other hats than the ones that she just mentioned, <laughs> as you'll as you'll hear as we as we go through. Um, I also, I mean, you all know, in terms of um, introducing um, other people who are connected with Friends School this morning. Um, I would like to uh, thank Mike Ayers, um, who serves on our, on our board of trustees, um, John Bond as well, um, who is here, who served actually uh, also not in addition to being um, a member of our board of trustees, uh, most recently also served as clerk, which is not an insignificant undertaking. Um, so thank you, John, and, and thank you for being here and, and being a, a connection for the school, both of you, a connection for the school with, um, with Salem Quarter. Um, other members, I saw Nancy was on before, I don't see her now, but um, Nancy Boschman also um, serves on our board of trustees, Arlie Johnson, Kathy Stetzer, and Steve Waddington. Um, and I see Bob waving, I don't know if you're trying to, other, other people <laughs> are connected with the, with the school. So gratitude for all of the support that we do get from friends, uh, from friends in Salem Quarter. And again, I'm welcoming this time to, um, to share with you essentially how things are going at the school. Um, I know that uh, we provide updates. Um, John in particular has given updates at quarterly meeting um, on a regular basis. We have had some articles in the, um, in the, in the quarterly news. Um, but today, uh, our, so I, it's not like you haven't been you know, aware of, of some of the major things that have been happening at the school. Um, had we been not in a pandemic, we were slated to host quarterly meeting and we were very much looking forward to that and we would have all been together um, on campus and you would have been able not only to hear and and to hear information about the school but also to to see it and, and be in the place which is really so important for our school um, it's like when when people come on campus for the first time they might be a, a prospective family or a prospective employee and um, by walking through the doors and meeting the people and, um, and, and just being in the place, they very quickly have that sense of what a special place it is. So I'm, and I know that many of you have been there before, um, but I'm sorry that we're not there today to be able to, um, to share that together. Um, but because of that, our presentation includes a number of photographs so that hopefully you can, um, you know, if we can't be there, a picture is a thousand words, right? So and we will um, talk about that as we go through. Um, so if we could, let's see, I think I have sharing capabilities now. All right, so um, by sharing my screen, I also, while this is a presentation and we have information to share with you, it's also an opportunity to have a conversation and ask questions. Now that I'm sharing my screen, I can't see all of you. And so if you do have a question along the way, I guess I'll ask uh, Jack and Mike to maybe keep an eye on things and let me know if somebody's raised their hand or, or has anything you wanna ask. Um, and I'll also pause for questions uh, a few times throughout the presentation. All right, 
So, um, so as I said, if we had been on campus, um, you know, this is what would have greeted you. Um, the, the Friends Mosaic, which those of you who are familiar with it know that if you, you look out to the right, it continues with the test. There's a mosaic for each of the testimonies. Uh, simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and stewardship. Um, but it begins with this mosaic, which Gail Scuderi some years ago helped our, our students to, um, to create. It um, you know, remains a very recognizable uh, touchstone for our school. And, and this is uh, what greets everyone as we arrive every day, which as we'll talk about in a little bit, is the case this year. So even um, that's another theme of our presentation is how things are going while we have this pandemic going on. And um, the very short version, which we'll talk about in greater detail in a little bit, is that we are at school. So this is still, you know, this is what greets all of our families, all of our children and, and teachers as they, they come into school every single day. And we are, um, we are grateful for that. But looking back a little bit, um, last year, we celebrated our 50th anniversary. And um, we kicked off the year, the, the image on the right is of uh, the students of, of me in front of the students in the meeting house, we had gathered to open the 25th anniversary time capsule. And that's, that is what is in the, the red metal suitcase um, that actually Hashi brought over from India. It was one of, the, one of the suitcases that Hashi traveled with when she came over from India um, on her first arrival to the United States and she donated it to the school to contain our time capsule. And it was great fun to open up things that in 1995 had been placed in there for those students looking forward to what the world might be like um, in this year, um, in the 2019-2020 in the school year. Um, a lot, and it was also closed on Earth Day. So there was a, a big theme of what the world would be like environmentally and, and to, uh, to, to hear their perspectives. It was also great fun to see that there were objects in there from some members of our community who were part of the community then, either as students or teachers, including Sophie um, and Brad Gibson, who were students at the time, and Jason Hummel, who are now teachers at the school. And also other teachers like Patty Sanderson, um, who were teachers then and are teachers now. Um, so it was a, a great, uh, it was a lot of fun to open that up. And throughout the year, we celebrated the 50th anniversary by focusing on the different decades um, from the late 60s all the way through the 70s, 80s, 90s, et cetera, and having students um, celebrate, learn about them and celebrate them by putting on performances or sharing things they had created based upon what they learned that had happened um, in those decades. Um, and Sophie, I don't know if you have anything, maybe some examples that, that you wanted to offer up about celebrating those decades and then also the way that the uh, drama program adapted. Yeah, so as teachers, we wanted to give students a sense of um, what 50 years was, because I think for little kids that that's, you know, 50 years and 200 years are kind of on the same time frame and time scale. Um, so each class uh, worked with their partner class. We have, we call them barrios, but we have sort of cohorts. So they worked in teams to make a presentation to the rest of the school about each of the decades. Um, so those were really, really fun. Um, students and teachers were really creative. They talked about important historical events, but also they talked about um, a lot of cultural events. Like if you remember in the 90s, we all danced the Macarena a lot so that we had um, our third and fourth grade um, cohort teaching the entire school how to dance the Macarena. Um, and we also wanted to help students see themselves as part of this larger history of, of what it means to be at Friends School. So that they occupy this space now, but that a lot of people occupied this space before them and they're connected to those people. And then that there are a lot of people who we hope will continue to be in this space in the future. So we wanted to help them kind of see themselves as, as part of this continuum and part of this legacy. Um, in the fall, we did a drama, a drama performance um, since the school was started in 1969. Our um, drama production was inspired by three television shows that um, aired, premiered in 1969. So those shows were The Brady Bunch, 
Sesame Street and Scooby-Doo. So students had the opportunity to kind of go back in time and, and explore another kind of cultural touchstone from their era. Um, and it was, it was a fun experience. It was, it was really um, delightful to see them kind of enter that world. And I think it was also meaningful um, for a lot of parents, especially Sesame Street. I think parents grew up watching that show. And so they were kind of singing along to many of the songs and um, I think it was nostalgic for them as well. Thank you. I know as we, um, there were some thoughts shared before about Zoom and about the benefits and the, and the uh, bad parts about Zoom. And one of them is that I have a dog that when I'm at home needs to be let in and out. So that's why, that's why it's a traveling show right now, but here, here we go. Um, so Sophie, um, you just talk about the, um, the performances that were you know, tied in with the 50th theme. The other very creative um, piece about them was that they were performed in the Hashi Deshbandu building in classrooms. And um, that's not the usual space for a performance, um, but it was a very a creative, it worked really, really well. And it was a creative um, adaptation that we had to make because of some space constraints that were presented by the fact that we were all consolidated into the Hashi building, into the Hashi Dishbandu building. And the reason that we're consolidated into the Hashi Dishbandu building is because our gymnasium and our the Noel Baker building um, are not available to us right now due to a, a situation I think you're all aware of with, uh, with the, the gymnasium floor and um, needing to, to close that down. Um, that's another uh, you know, expression of gratitude, Salem Quarter and friends um, in the in the in the quarter and um, particular meetings have been very um, very generous in helping us to get through that situation. We are continuing to um, to approach solutions to it. We actually had some recent good news about um, possible solutions that might cost less than we at first anticipated. So we're very excited to um, and as we come out of the pandemic to put our attention back to that that issue. Um, to solve it and to bring that building back to use for the for the whole school, but want to provide that update and again thank friends for their support for the school as, as we navigate that challenge. So and that you know segues into some facility some other facility news. Um, as many of you know, the Coke Building, which was the original home of the school when when the school first came to Mullica Hill in 1969 had no longer been used by the school, um, was, was not serving, had not served the school. And so therefore the school had moved, you know, especially when the Hashi building was built out of the building. Um, and the big news is that last spring, um, actually right before the pandemic sent us all home in, in February and March, we were able to close on the sale of the Coke building. And so it is now in the hands of, of a company that is planning to, um, to keep it intact, to keep it as its you know, historic presence in Mullica Hill, but to renovate it and have offices um, move in. So it's a, a piece of the campus that has been a, a building and about an acre of land around it that has been sold off. Um, but we're very happy that it now has the future of um, future prospects of, of put, being put back to, to very good use. With that, we were required, and it was actually time for the Salem building um, to be taken down. The Salem building was always intended to be, back in 1969, 1970, was intended to be a temporary structure, um, but it, it served the school for many, for decades, had recently been really just storage for the school, and also we were renting part of it to um, the Chabad of Gloucester County while they um, built their own community center in Mullica Hill. Um, because of the sale and because it was you know, contiguous to what we um, what we sold off with the Cope building, um, we were required to take it down. And as I said, it was time to um, to take it down anyway. Um, there are, I'm sure, and, and again, Sophie, I don't know if you have any thoughts to share here, but there are mixed feelings about both the Cope building and the Salem building um, that had served us so well, no longer being part of the school. And yet I think it also offers, um, it, it's a good thing moving forward. Sophie, any, any thoughts on that or should we? 
I think it's probably more for pound for people who aren't there every day. I think for me, um, because I have the privilege of being at front school every day, I can see that the school continues its beautiful work. Um, I can see how if you um, have been away from the school for a while and you have many happy memories in a place that it, it could be hard to see the building go. But I think um, that all of the things that we really love about the school continue in other spaces. Thank you. And I think that that harkens back to what I said at the, the beginning that, you know, it's when you walk into the school that very often people just have that that feeling. We were recently interviewing candidates for um, for a, to fill a position and um, Patty Sanderson, who has taught at the school for I think for not quite 30 years, but for, for 20 some years was was talking about that, you know, that nature of the school. And it occurred to me that there's someone and, and Sophie as a student um, when these buildings were in active use and, and somewhat as a teacher as well. You know, that's something that people can say about the school had said about the school in the Cope building. They said it in the Salem building and now they say it in the Hashi building. So it's not really about the buildings. It's about the people who are inside of them. And I think that continues to um, to be the case. But again, this, these are um, changes to the campus. As you can see, the, the site where the Salem building stood is now a dirt patch. And we have started to give thought to how to fill that dirt patch. Um, you know, at the very least, it's additional play space or will be when, the, when we are able to grow grass there in the spring. Um, the, very, the potential for garden boxes, the potential for an outdoor um, basketball court, because we did lose that when we lost the, the Cope building. So those are some of the thoughts we have for how to put this space to good use. But we're also just grateful to have, again, the open space. So and again, talking about space, the next thing we wanted to share with you is how we are doing and how we have um, adapted to the pandemic. And the, the pandemic, um, the pandemic's arrival and its impact on schools and other businesses and, and all of us really coincided with our going into spring break last spring, um, the spring of 2020. Um, we actually had one of our first major decisions we had to make was about whether our eighth grade trip to Costa Rica would go. And again, um, friends in Salem Quarter have been very generous of the uh, global learning um, the global, yeah, the global Learning Fund at, at Friends School and supporting students who otherwise might find it financially prohibitive to go on the Costa Rica trip. So um, we're grateful for that continued support. And last year, the eighth grade did go on the trip. The, one of the decisions we made was that it was still okay to go. And that proved to be not a bad decision. Um, the, the, the students um, and Sophie and, and Ben Wren, who is our Director of Global Learning, um, accompanied the eighth grade. And they were able to get all but one day out of the trip. Uh, we did make the decision to bring them back a day early because that was that coincided with the closing of airports and we wanted to make sure that we had everybody back back home in New Jersey um, before that that impacted them. So that was one of the, as I said, one of the, the first um, things to happen. And then in while we are, were in spring break, um, Governor Murphy made the decision, made the, the stay at home order and so we very quickly pivoted to what we called FSMH distance learning. And that was to, um, to get on Zoom, um, to use Google Classroom and other platforms um, and to conduct school from home. And we did that all the way through the spring. At first there were, it was in two week chunks and you probably all remember that as well. You know, are we gonna come out of this in two weeks? Are we gonna come out of this in another two weeks? And we, we stuck with that timeline for a while and then, um, Somewhere, I think in, in early May, we made the decision along with everyone else that we were just um, in this throughout the rest of the school year, um, which in hindsight, you know, silly us. <laughs> we should have known that it was going to be, I mean, here we are still in it. But, um, and I'm very proud of our, of our faculty, of our families um, who were able to do this, to, to shift to a different mode of learning and to do it successfully not without its challenges, um, but we also received a lot of uh, very positive feedback from families who appreciated all the work of the faculty in, in making this happen and in staying connected in, in things that we did to remain connected as a community in addition to the, the teaching and learning, but the ways that we um, 
still celebrated, for instance, our, our auction and we held meeting for worship every Friday. And um, we had a, a wave parade for the eighth grade to help celebrate their graduation. So there are, are ways that we continue to bring everyone together, even under these um, circumstances. And then that led into the summer um, in which we, uh, we did not continue our summer camp program, although we are planning on bringing that back this summer, but we went really into planning mode. We spent the summer um, developing our health and safety protocols, um, thinking carefully about how we were going to te provide teaching and learning either on campus or in distance learning again. If we had to go back into distance learning, how could we do it even, even better than we had in the spring and learn, learn lessons from things that hadn't gone as well? Teachers spent a lot of time over the summer, both planning and in professional development along those lines. Um, and as we emerged from the summer, we were ready to, we made the decision and we were ready to come back to campus. And um, that wasn't without a lot, of, a lot of changes, as I said, a lot of protocols and some physical changes. So here you can see a couple of our classrooms. Um, on the left is a fifth grade classroom. And it is very typical of, um, of the classes from third grade and above, individual desks um, spaced out in the, in the classrooms. Um, you can't see it in this picture, but there's uh, hand sanitizer over by the sink. Every classroom has sinks for hand washing and hand sanitizer. Um, so that's you know, one physical way that we were able to, um, to adapt. Um, actually, I have to thank uh, uh, Westfield Friends School for providing many of the desks. We had a number of these, these kinds of desks that needed more, and, and Westfield had a surplus and, and uh, extended them to us. And then the picture on the right is from one of our pre-K classrooms, um, which is in the space that had normally been the library in the Hashi building. So again, another adaptation to our, our use of physical space. And this is fairly typical. This is what the pre-K classrooms look like. And then kindergarten first and second have um, similar kind of uh, plastic screens, although they're, they're not triplicate, but they're, uh, they just split tables in half. So grades two down to pre-K, are in this kind of setting with tables and dividers. Um, the yellow items are packets on the back of each chair so that children do not have to, they have much of what they need with them. Um, and older students are bringing um, backpacks into the classroom with them, um, which again has its pros and cons, makes the room a little bit more uh, crowded with, with stuff, but that they're then not, not needing to go to lockers or cubbies as much and, and congregate in those spaces. Um, so, as I say, we, we've been in school. Um, we've also been able to provide remote learning <clears throat> for those students who um, have to be out of school. So while school is taking place on campus, um, a, and I, it, it varies from time to time. Sometimes it's just a few students. Um, I think it's been as many as maybe 20 or 24 students at another time. For students who either were not comfortable coming back to school and wanted to take some time to adjust, for students who um, either have tested positive or are close contacts of someone, say in a family and need to quarantine. Um, for families right now, we, we've had a number in the past couple of weeks who traveled over Thanksgiving. And so they needed to quarantine afterwards. And we've been able to provide through Zoom and through Google Classroom um, connection for them to be able to attend school remotely. And I think that's, um, that's gone, as, gone well as well. Um, the last thing I'll say before I invite Sophie again to, you know, as you heard me say, there are pluses and minuses to all of this, um, or roses and thorns, you know, what, what has gone well, what remains frustrating, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but we actually also were able to open with 152 students. Um, last year, we had 166 students, and that was an increase of about 30% over the last few years. The school has, has grown significantly while remaining a small, comfortable community. Um, so we're down a little bit from 166, but we're also, ironically, that is with some waiting lists. So our enrollment is down a little bit, and that has a lot to do with the constraints of space. So we, we have had interest in, um, in various grades where we have not been able to enroll students because the rooms are, um, you know, we, we've reached capacity um, with COVID. So that's, that's both a, you know, we're, we're sorry not to be able to accommodate them, but it's because we're you know, following what we need to be doing. Um, so, Sophie, any, any thoughts on, from the teacher perspective on 
what's going well and and what remains a, a challenge? Yeah, I, I think that we're all um, happy to be at school and um, definitely feel like able to manage the the remote students and the um, students in the classroom. It doesn't feel like a long time long term model when we talk about like. Um, the future of education. I don't, I don't foresee that like you'll just have an option about whether or not you want to come to school. Um, I think that we really prefer to have all of our students together in the classroom when we can. And obviously when we look back, when we look at these pictures um, as educators of all these neat desks in a row, it really makes our skin crawl because this is like what we're told not to do. You know, we usually have them at table. They, they usually work in teams. I mean, I even put middle schoolers on the carpet with me so we can talk and read and share. So under normal circumstances, this isn't ideal, but um, I think that everyone is really managing and and that the the benefits are 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 important. I will just say I think for all of us teachers, students, families, communities, this this specter of this virus looms large. Um, and so I think um, it's been important and continues to be important to really care for each other and and look out for each other because you never know how anyone wakes up feeling about about the world or the virus on any given day. So um, taking care of mental health and, and looking out for each other is really important. The biggest thorn that we've been talking a lot about in my family right now is we're very concerned about the snow day in the future of education. Um, we do feel like perhaps this is the end of the snow day as we know it. So although I think many things will return, we are concerned that, you know, those that everyone will be on Zoom when it snows, but that's sort of a silly thing. No, that's not silly at all. I've been thinking about that as well. And I will tell you, I'm right. So we, we as a faculty have not um, talked about this formally, but um, one person believes that there's still great, one person among you here. And I, well, I'm sure I'm not just the only one because I also saw some friends going, no, <laughs> there is great value in the snow day. There is great value for kids in waking up and saying, we're going to go play instead. And I think for teachers as well, um, so, you know, I could see if we had a, a snow, you know, a blast of a snowstorm, and when's the last time we had that, that shut down the school for three or four days or five days, right? Maybe we don't last all three or four or five days, right? But at least on it, like on a singular wake up and there's, you know, we all need to hunker down or go out and go sledding. I don't see that going away. So you can take that back, Sophie, there you go. Um, and in other, um, you know, you know, as Sophie said, <clears throat> it makes us all of us. We're always thinking about education, how we are, how we are conducting education, what works, what do we need to change, and that's definitely case the case in this situation. I think from from day one, there there were some silver linings, and there continue to be some silver linings. Um, you know, friends earlier this morning were reflecting on Zoom and and its impact on on worship. Well, we when we went into the, the stay at home order in the spring, we continued to have weekly meeting for worship by Zoom. And, and while it's not the same as sitting in the meeting house together, it was a connectedness that uh, we were in each other and, you know, and we're in each other's homes, which is a plus and a minus as well, as you all know. Um, but it also, we've held meetings by Zoom that have allowed greater attendance. Our, our back to school night, while always well attended, I think was even a little bit more attended, I think the teachers would agree that their attendance was better because um, it, we made it easier by attending back to school night by Zoom. Um, so I think there are those, those kinds of um, roses or benefits that have come out while also being very careful that we, um, uh, you know, what we are not going to keep going in the future. Just a couple of other examples of I think creative solutions that have come around um, from, this, uh, from this pandemic. And actually I'm gonna switch back. Sorry, I, I switched to, actually, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to go through a couple examples, and then I'm going to pause to see if there are any questions. Um, and I'm going to return, we've been staring at these same pictures for a while. Let me just adjust my screen. So here are some other ways that we've been adapting to the pandemic. This is International Day of Peace, which we would normally um, have worship in the meeting house and gather around the, the peace bowl to sing. 
this year we spread out on the field and um, teacher Kelly is on the right there leading us in peaceful yoga. So we had worship out on the field in this, this format and kind of, if you were an aerial looking down, um, it was a sunburst. Every class was, was a ray of the sun uh, stretching out. And then we all enjoyed spaced, socially distanced or, or physically distanced yoga on the field. And that's um, teacher Kelly and also teacher Kate, our, our music teacher leading that. Classes, especially when it was warm, it's, it's hap not happening as often now with the colder weather moving in, but um, this is a fourth grade reading group, a reading class and a music class gathered outside. This is pre-K having a story time with teacher Nancy. And then these are some of our middle school students. I'm gonna ask Sophie in a minute to talk about um, what they are doing. Um, but before that, um, you know, one of the ways that we've been very limited in our connection is through what we usually have uh, by way of partner classes or even just the school in general about um, young children and older children being able to, to be with each other. In the morning at drop-off, for example, last year we uh, started to have some older students work, um, help out as, um, as helpers to bring pre-K students around to their classroom, holding their hands and walking up the path. They can't do that this year. Um, partner classes would normally get together to read together or to do a community service project together, and we can't do that either. So a solution that we came up with, um, actually teachers came up with, is to have partner classes the week before Thanksgiving break work on a gratitude project. They wrote notes to each other and exchanged them. They sent notes between classes. Um, they did some secret identities. They gave clues about each, each student and then they had to guess at the end of the week who their, their buddy was in the older class um, and exchange um, kindergarten made, made beaded necklaces for their fifth grade buddies and, and fifth grade sent back a big poster of, of thanks. So, and, and they met at the end of the week by Zoom to read stories together, share, you know, reveal who their secret buddy was um, and so forth. And then also our Thanksgiving gathering that day, which normally would have been gathering together for a meal with their partner classes. We had it in their classrooms, but we turned Zoom on so that they could see each other and they all had a meal at the same time, even though they had to stay in their, in their separate classrooms. Another challenge to overcome just like last year with the 50th anniversary uh, drama production was what to do this year. Um, so Sophie, what was the solution? Yeah, so this year um, we knew that we wanted to have a drama production because it's really important for our students. They, we did a project, um, a video project online last spring when we weren't together and they missed having the opportunity to perform a live show. So, um, we decided that we would move our drama production up. We usually hold it in December right before the winter break. Um, so we held it at the end of October. So students were able to rehearse um, outside after school. They worked uh, with their cohort. So the seventh and eighth grade worked together and the fifth and sixth grade um, work together and we perform scenes from Shakespeare. So students, um, we're given a variety of different scenes from comedies and tragedies. And we use the campus for inspiration and perform the scenes outside. Um, we did in the end have a few performers uh, perform via Zoom in the fifth and sixth grade uh, production, which was a different and new experience for all of us on the iPad and with the speaker. Um, it kind of worked for the Scottish play because uh, the ghost kind of had this out of body voice. Um, but uh, we asked families to come and stand uh, apart from each other. Um, we took temperatures when the audience arrived and they had to sign kind of a form about um, where they, you know, their symptoms and all of that. So we tried to keep our community safe while still giving the kids an opportunity to, to have the experience of performing. Um, and as you can see, they're all wearing their masks um, in the production. So they really had to enunciate and 
and project, right? <laughs> in order to be heard. Yeah, it was like, what is this crazy person thinking? Like Shakespeare with masks on outside, but it, it, it was okay in the end, but I was sure no one would hear anything at all. You know? Yeah, it was good. And we also had some parents who, who watched via um, Zoom because they, they were quarantining at home and they couldn't be there. So um, again, technology being put to good use. And it really was a great creative solution. And, and the, um, there's one more image here. So, so one was performed in the garden. One was, a couple of them were, well, no, two of them were performed in the garden, two in the grove of trees that is near the meeting house. And um, two of them were performed here using the, the playground as their set, right? As a, as a ship or, was there just one that was on the playground, Sophie? Yeah, it was one on the playground and then one on the, in the pergola. Right, which if we go back, that's a re rehearsal happening in the pergola for um, one of the performances there. And Sophie teaching a Zoom class <laughs> to remote school. Yep. So I'll pause I, I, there. Can you tell me what were the other plays? You only mentioned the Scottish play. I, I, it looked to me like you were doing uh, As You Like It, possibly The Tempest. Yeah, that's two. As You Like It, The Tempest, the Scottish play. And I couldn't quite make out the other one. Oh, maybe Romeo and Juliet. It looked like it might have been Tybalt and, and uh, was it? No, we did um, Hamlet. Oh, and Hamlet. Oh, okay. We did Hamlet and we did uh, Much Ado, a scene from Much Ado about nothing. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, the other two were pretty, yeah, they, they were fun. That's great. Oh, well, I'll have to talk oh. to you about, I'll have to talk to you about the Scottish play sometime, but not here. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've never actually done that play. Um, and in theater, in theater, it's the cursed play, right? Like the, well, something always goes wrong. And actually that was the play that we had to postpone because students were quarantining and that was the play that we had kids on Zoom. So I, <laughs> I you know, I'm not sure whether we should blame COVID or Shakespeare, um, but you know, we can blame Shakespeare, I guess. I think so. Yes. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. No, okay, well, if you ever do it again, then you and I have to talk. Okay, great. Okay. So we, we have more to share with you, but I think this is a good place to pause. Just if, if anybody has a, a question about anything that we've shared so far. Other than Shakespearean questions or, or additional Shakespearean questions. Gloria has a question and then I have. I was just wondering, uh, since the people who bought the um, coat building um, required you to tear down the other one, and I, I'm sorry, I keep getting those things mixed up. How much of the land there did they also went with the building? You said an acre, but I just wonder if you lost any of that green area there. Um, a little a little bit. So if you can imagine, those of you who are familiar with the campus, um, if you if you look out over the you know where the soccer field, the soccer and the field hockey field are, and there are a number of homes over there that that back up to the campus, and you and they have you know a fence line behind them. You can see how far those properties come back. It's essentially continuing that line okay. through behind the cope building. Um, so and it's it's a little bit of grass. It, and the reason why we had to um, sell an acre with the building is because in order for them to do anything with the building, they have to add parking and yeah. they needed a certain amount to accommodate that. And, and a, a part of the Salem building, there are two reasons why we had to take down the Salem building. One is um, that a part of it was then on their land. Uh, right? I see. That, that line also went through about a, I don't know, about a quarter of the way through the Salem building. And even if it weren't, because it was so close to the property, you know, um, that that was another another consideration. I see. Well, Matt, when our kids went to friend's school, they were talking about getting rid of the Salem building. Yeah. Then. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, my question is probably for Sophie, and that is, uh, you had mentioned that sometimes you have uh, kids staying at home for one reason or the other uh, because of having to quarantine. Do 
you do separate programs for those children staying at home or do uh, you just teach in the classroom like you normally would and they hear what you're talking about and pick up the program? The reason why I'm asking is uh, the possibility for meetings to use this uh, same uh, methodology or technology or whatnot for us to have meeting for hybrid meeting for worship where friends can worship from their home and worship in the meeting house at the same time and hear each other and participate on a similar basis. Yeah, so that's a really good question. For the most part, I would say that our it's been synchronous. So exactly what you're describing. Um, students have their schedule and then they log into each class um, as it occurs during the day. Now, some things like gym are a little harder maybe to participate in if you're not in the building. So there would be some things that would be hard for kids to do. Um, but for the most part, they log into the class. Are they able to hear you and can you hear them? Yeah, I think that the challenge, um, so the challenge becomes, because we, we've had, uh, I think, a few synchronous meetings at Woodstown where people are in the meeting house and people are at home. The challenge becomes um, if you have, and this happened um, when we had a teacher at home, if you have uh, many people in a room and they're all on a device, you just have to make sure that they're muting their device so that everybody can hear what's happening online. Does that make sense? Because if, if there's sort of multiple devices where people are kind of zooming in in, in, a, in the same space, you get a lot of feedback. So you have all your children in your classroom mute while you're doing the presentation so that the children who are at home can hear? So that, so usually, I, the students who are in the classroom are not on Zoom. It's just the people who are at home who are on Zoom. And who do you have muting? And, and they're, they can mute, they're okay. The problem there have, I guess the problem has been when um, there's been a need to have multiple kids on Zoom while they're in the same classroom, but that hasn't happened very frequently. It's kind of, it's, yeah. I'm so happy I, to talk about this later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, can Mickleton Meeting hire you as a consultant? No, I'm not the one, no. <laughs> so it just, I'll give you one brief example and then I think that we can move on. So the answer, one of those questions, the answer, Bob, when you say who is, uh, who is muted is it depends. Right. It depends on where the sound is coming from and who's causing feedback and so forth. An example I think that so Sophie was referencing was um, when we have had a teacher teach remotely. They so they are online. We can do that a couple of ways. Like one is they could be up on the smart board, but actually what's been most effective is everybody is on a device. All the children in the classroom are on their Chromebooks or their iPads. The teacher is on from home and also um, any other students who are on remotely from home are also obviously on their devices. Then they are, it's like what we're doing right now. We're all on Zoom together, but those children who are in the room together need to mute their devices so that they don't have, you know, a cacophony of, of sound. Okay. So that's just, that's one example of, of how it's working. Okay, thank you very much. But we still may hire Sophie. Yeah, and, and West, I mean, I, I think, um, Malika Hill, I think, Tom, you're doing kind of a hybrid meeting for worship, right? And um, Westchester, that's what we've been doing since the pandemic and uh, seems, seems to work pretty well in terms of, you have to have the right microphones and so forth in order to be heard. But So yeah. in, in moving on, so we've been talking about it, like what has changed, right? And, and there's so much has changed and so much has, has had to be adapted, but at the same time, there's so much that it hasn't. Um, and when we go back to the mission of the school, um, this is the mission statement that was revised in 2018, and I'm, I'm going to read it out loud um, because it's a it's not that long, and I think that every word here is so important. The Friends School Mullica Hill empowers students to achieve their full potential and become responsible global citizens by providing a comprehensive academic program infused with Quaker values in a diverse and inclusive learning community. 
So as I said, each of those, those words I think is, is very important and, and they have in revising this mission statement and, and developing strategic goals a few years ago, there are really three main areas that we have been um, working on both as, as a board and as a faculty. And one is in enhancing global learning. This is um, an area that was already a strength of the school and that we have given um, even more kind of a renewed effort to over the past couple of years. Um, the deaf, and it, it's something that already, you know, is identified as, as existing within the school, but maybe needed to be kind of tied together. The definition of global learning, it's kind of illustrated in this image right here, is the development of knowledge and skills that prepare students to investigate their world, recognize perspectives, communicate their ideas, and take action to demonstrate care for themselves, others, and the environment. And that last phrase about uh, demonstrating care for themselves, others, and the environment really is what we ask in our mission statement to be a responsible global citizens. So the way over the past couple of years that this has, um, that we've been focusing on this, or one way I should say, through, um, through our curriculum and through our approach to learning is in project-based learning. And that is the notion that you, um, rather than teach information, you know, content and, and skills that then you expect students to, um, to put to good use, you actually start with the end. What is a project or a problem that needs to be solved, which is a motivating factor in, in um, really motivating students toward that, that learning goal. And if this is our project or our problem to be solved, um, how do we back up to what are the skills then that we need to learn and what is the information that we need to learn in order to, um, to achieve that? So, and that lends itself to the, um, to the goals of, of global learning that I described before. Another um, item that we took were, was something that the school was already doing, but that we took it a step further and enhanced was thinking about global events. Um, we had already celebrated as a, on a regular basis, International Day of Peace and Earth Day, for example. But starting last year, we started to focus on other international days, about five of them throughout the year. Um, and, and treating them, giving them more attention, leading with a query at the beginning of a week, uh, inviting, providing the resources and inviting classes to really dive into that query um, and end the week with a, a project or a, um, uh, something that could be shared out at the end of the week in the meeting house all together. Um, and so that, that's, as I said, kind of an enhanced approach to, um, to these global events. Um, adding on to what we had done before. One of them last year on the World Day of Social Justice, uh, we invited Donna Gibson to come to school to talk about the work she had done um, with Friends School um, using 10,000 villages and, and supporting sustainable um, su uh, sustainable economy and also um, as, a, as an effort that the entire school um, could engage in when, when she was a parent at the school. And that was, a, that was a highlight of the year. And then lastly here, Earth Day, um, you know, you can imagine and you know all the ways that you can start, uh, celebrate Earth Day when you are in school together. Earth Day last year we celebrated while we were distanced, but students were all encouraged to go out in their homes and their outside of their homes and their backyards and um, into a local park um, to capture the environment in words and images that they then shared and then we, we shared out with an all school Zoom session um, to, uh, to share the reflections that students had on Earth Day. Quaker life, of course, is, um, is crucial, is, is vital to who we are as a friend school. Um, and it's another area where we have both had to adapt to the pandemic and also where we have continued the, the practices that, that are so um, central to the life of our school. Um, I think Sophie is gonna describe some of the ways that we have done that. So Matt has talked a lot about last spring. Last spring, um, it was really important for us to come together for worship. And just like I imagine all of you and your meetings have kind of had to figure out how to have worship in this new um, time, we had to do that as well. So last spring, we had worship on Zoom on Friday mornings. And it was truly a, a special experience. Um, some students came by themselves. Um, some students came with their families, 
Some students came with younger siblings with their dogs and cats. Um, and it was really um, an opportunity for our wider um, community to be together. And worship uh, occasionally was just silent worship with a query, but often there was some kind of program before. So there was a storytelling element where a story was read and Zoom was a great forum for that because you could show a picture book and everyone could easily see the images even better than that could have happened in the meeting house. Um, we had guided meditation um, so students could um, relax and sort of center themselves into the silent worship. And then each uh, meeting for worship always ended with a song. So our music teacher, Teacher Kate, um, always led um, everyone in a song at the end of worship. They're um, usually a song about peace or light um, that the kids maybe had learned throughout the school year that they were familiar with. This year, um, we've had to adapt because we are not all able to be together in the meeting house. Um, we still make it a priority for each week, a, a barrio, a group of a cohort to, to be able to worship in the meeting house so that students still have that opportunity and understand um, what that space is for and how, how it can help us center ourselves and worship. Um, but we've had worship in our classrooms. We've had worship outside. Um, we've had a worship sharing where each student is given a, a chance to respond to the query. Um, and then we've had some other kind of alternative, alternative worship scenarios where kids were invited to bring a journal outside and um, respond in their journal, either with words or images to the query. I think that one is under gratitude. When I am sitting in nature, how do the surroundings influence my thoughts and feelings? Um, and um, so in some ways, I think it has helped to enrich the worship experience for students. I, I am a believer in silence. I love silent worship and I think students do too, but I also think giving them tools to understand how to use that silence um, can, can be really useful. And some queries um, like sharing family traditions for which they were grateful really did encourage everyone, everyone in the room to share. Um, I was in the eighth grade and usually many students share, but not everyone. But when we shared that query, every student um, had something that they wanted to contribute to the, to the worship. So I think that that's been, been really very lovely. And we tried to organize the queries into themes. So the first one, um, the first few queries were about peace and um, extending peace through cultures that are different and similar to ours then about gratitude, and then most recently about simplicity. Um, the one that's interesting, I think, with today, many of the messages today was this query about how does technology help us to focus on what is essential in our lives? Um, and we had that came out of a conversation <clears throat> where last year when we were having um, discussion with students about simplicity, a lot of kids just said, well, you know, we'll get rid of our computers and we'll get rid of our phones. Um, and I think that many of us felt like, well, those tools actually do, do serve an important purpose. I know um, one of our teachers has family in Mexico. So she was saying like, it allows her mom to talk to her relatives in Mexico, right? That's a possibility that without some of these new um, technologies, we couldn't have. So we really were helping, trying to help students understand how, um, simple life is not necessarily life without modernity or without technology, right? It's more about, about how we use it and about how we interact with each other. Thank you, Sophie. And as, as uh, Sophie was speaking, I shared this one image. Um, this is, gives you an example of how uh, this is just pre-K and kindergarten in the meeting house. We can't all gather there, but we can with um, with one or two classes at a time spread out. And since this was um, pre-K and kindergarten, and for so many of them, their first time in the meeting house, 
teacher Nancy was reading to them the um, We Are Going to Meeting for Worship, which is a, a book that we use very often that was written by a, a teacher from Haddonfield Friends School. And um, lastly, you know, the other um, really significant thread of, of our mission and who we are as a school is the fact that we are a diverse, that we are and we strive to be a diverse, equitable, and inclusive learning community. And over the last couple of years, uh, last maybe two and a half years, um, the, the latest iteration of a committee focused on this has been really active and has done um, doing really good work. And that is the, the DEI committee, which is um, clerked by a member of our, of our board who also serves as the senior vice president for um, diversity, equity, inclusivity at Rowan University. So that's a great connection and resource that we have. Um, it has other parents on the committee um, who are both interested and in many cases experienced in this work, um, as well as teachers. So it's, it's not a um, board level, it's not a board committee, it's really a, a community committee that has representation from, um, from all through the school. Um, and Sophie serves on in a couple of these capacities. So again, Sophie, if you want to describe some of the work here. Yeah, I think I think you described it well. I think for teachers at Friends School, this is ongoing work. This isn't new work, but it's it's important that we that we keep our focus here. And um, this year, I'm serving on the anti-bias curriculum committee. So we have two uh, parents who are also professors at Rowan who do this kind of work um, in their in their for a living in their lives, um, and they have offered their support to our community. And again, it's a it's a a teacher parent um, collaboration. And so um, we started that work and that will be a year long, a year long process. Um, and then the other committees, um, one of them is helping to celebrate the, the many diverse, the diversity among families in the school by sharing, similar to what Sophie was describing before, but sharing um, traditions and, and um, experiences. Another group that is um, going to be developing a multicultural calendar for us, which will not just be a calendar, but will have linked to it resources of different holidays that are celebrated in different cultures and religions. Um, and then lastly, and I, for now, I mean, there, there may be other initiatives that come out of this committee over time, but um, a group that is going to help support me in the hiring and retaining of staff of color, um, because we have a, a very diverse school population, our board, um, has a, a good diversity among it, but our faculty and staff uh, does not, when it comes to, um, to uh, race and ethnicity, uh, does not, is not a very diverse group at all. We have lots of um, different perspectives and points of view and other diversity that we bring to the table, but, um, but definitely this is an area of um, improvement needed at the school. And then, and just lastly, there have been other um, other initiatives that come out of the faculty and from the committee in terms of um, professional development and training that um, that has happened and is ongoing. And lastly, you know, I started by saying if you had come to campus today, you would have been greeted by the mosaic, and and that's um, this is something that's been greeting uh, families on Thursdays. So coming out of that that gratitude project that I described right before Thanksgiving the fourth grade got very motivated, interested and motivated about helping um, people in the community that are food challenged at this time and, and have been and will continue to be. And so they have created Thankful Thursdays. That's what that green sign says, uh, Thankful Thursday. And that is a day, um, it started leading into Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving break and has continued afterwards and will continue um, indefinitely. On Thursdays, members of the community, families are invited to contribute um, non-perishable foods for um, to, which are being donated to your place at the table, um, which is out of a Trinity Methodist Church. It's a, uh, a food pantry that serves the immediate community. Um, they are very energized about it, and they've had really good results. There have been a lot of, a lot of donations coming in from our food community, uh, from our school community, sorry. Um, and I invite you as well, if you are uh, led to support this, um, it doesn't have to be on a Thursday. We'll take your donations any day of the week. Um, we do ask that you avoid drop-off or pick-up time, because that gets a little crowded out in front of the school. But if you want to come by at any other time um, 
and uh, just come to the front entrance. Um, you're not able to come in the building, but we will take your donation into the building and share it with the fourth grade. So I, I welcome you welcome you to do that. And I think that's also a good um, a good place to, to close also with, you know, no matter what has changed, some things remain the same. And our students and our teachers' interest in serving the broader community um, is as strong as ever. So friends, I, I thank you for your attention. Um, I don't know, Jack or Mike, if, if there remains any time for questions, but if there are, I'd be, be happy to take them. Yes, we certainly have time for questions. Uh, uh, unmute yourself and uh, speak up. I have a question. I, um, thank you, Matt, and thank you, Sophie. This is a, a really good and deep, um, uh, you know, revealing of, of what's going on at Malika Hill Friends School, you know, particularly the last few things you were talking about, how um, the going to a Quaker school is just so different from attending a public school, you know, even in the way that um, you deliver community services and concerns through the students and faculty. So thank you for that. I have just a, a, a more mundane question about facility and the Noel Baker building. I'm wondering if the, if the gym affects the rest of the building, is there a way that the rest of the building could be used even if the, the gym were closed off? So, you know, in terms of helping you solve space problems and um, and and increase your enrollment. So thank yeah. you. So there's both a yes and no. So I think my answer is yes, no, and yes. <laughs> so yes, initially, the, the issue with the gym did affect, um, and to a minor extent, but it did affect other rooms around it enough where we said, you know, just to be sure, we're going to move everybody out of out of the building um, because the situation seems to be getting better and, it, and there's still work to be done in terms of, of bringing the gym back to to full use but the the chance of you know while that's being worked on bringing the other rooms back to use there there is a possibility of doing that that's definitely on the table as they say um, and we're hopeful to get the gym, but not just hopeful, but we are committed to getting the gym back to bring the entire building back to use. So that's why I say yes, no, and yes. For at a time, the answer was no, the entire building needs to be off limits, but that's that could very well change in the near future. Okay, thank you. John, I, think thank you. John, I think John has something to add. John Bond. First of all, it's good to see everybody and good afternoon. Uh, I'm glad to see everybody doing well and all the smiling faces. Uh, thanks to Matt uh, for the presentation. Um, I guess I want to follow up on his gratitude points uh, first. You know, first my gratitude to the meeting uh, for their uh, the quarter and the meeting at Woodstown meeting for their support of the school with a loan, uh, which has uh, was very instrumental in uh, the operations for the school. So. Um, also, gratitude to all the faces that I see on here that have been past board members or supporters of the school. So I want to say that. Um, separately, I, I want to acknowledge uh, uh, George Crispin's passing uh, and my condolences to his family. I believe he's the longest serving board member for the school. So, uh, so it is appropriate that, uh, that we acknowledge him here today. Um, I want to acknowledge Nancy Boschman, who's a board member, who's been one of the strongest supporters of the school, if not the strongest one on the board. And uh, also a Sophie and some guy she knows named Brad, who are, uh, who are truly some inspirational teachers and faculty members. Uh, and there are two among many ones that are on there. So I want to say that uh, Mike Ayers spent a long time on the board took a little break and is back with another stint and serving in an unbelievable capacity and get, doing so many great things. And then finally, I wanna make sure all of you understand, but I think you got a flavor of it that Matt has been just a, a, a fabulous head of school and really instrumental to the success of the school over the past few years. So I wanna thank Matt for his time today, but also for his leadership and vision for the school. And then finally, Corey McMahon, who could not be here today, is the new clerk of the school. Um, she, she has been doing a bang up job and all guns blazing. 
and she is a um, uh, alumna of the school, uh, a Quaker at heart, a parent of one of the children, uh, one of the children of the school, and uh, a longtime board member. So she's been doing a great school. So I just want to express all that gratitude to everybody on behalf of the board. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. All right, uh, Matt, that was terrific. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to Clearly Quaker. We hope you have found this podcast thought-provoking. If you have questions or comments or would like to learn more about South Jersey Quakers, reach us at salemquarter.net. Thank you.